Welcome to the Sounds of the World. We are your hosts, Hillary and Bill. Together, we're going to travel around the world to discover new music, discuss musical topics, and interview fascinating people. Our world is a buffet of music, and it is time to eat. Welcome back to the Sounds of the World podcast. Uh, that was a snippet from a song called Desert uh, by our, late, our next guest. Uh, in this episode, we're going to talk to a, um, take a different look at an instrument um, thanks to this leading innovator. Um, the steel pan, as you hear, is often associated with like cruise ships or tropical resorts or even, you know, like pina coladas or whatever. But under the hands of our guests, they're transformed into a new sonic world. He attended Appalachian, Appalachian State University in Boone, North Carolina, and he became inspired. Well, he was he was encouraged by Bella Fleck. Um, hearing Fleck's approach to the banjo reaffirmed the way that he looked at the steel pans and how he wrote his pieces for it. Um, he drip, the Driftwood magazine wrote that he is an uber innovator. He released his first album in 2007 called One Track Mind uh, with his orchestra. That he later called Forchestra. Uh, he gained the attention from Ropadope Records and released his first album with them in 2013. The record released number six on the iTunes Jazz Charts. In 2016, he covered the Bella Fleck song, The Imposter, which eventually gained the notice of Bella, who remarked, to say I'm impressed would be a gross understatement. Uh, in June of the same year, our guest performed with Bella and the Fleck Tones in Richmond, Virginia, uh, with the release of his sixth album, uh, Pillar, our guest is constantly changing the way people hear and interpret the sound world of the steel pans. Today, we're going to talk to him about his album Pillar, as well as some pieces uh, from other albums, and discover more about who this man is. So please welcome Jonathan Scales. Woohoo! Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Appreciate yes, it. It's great to talk to you. Um, again, listeners, sorry. Uh, Hillary's still feeling, fighting the COVID, but you know she'll be back as soon as she can. So... Uh, she's in our thoughts. Um, but back to this. So, uh, yeah, Jonathan, it's, it, uh, it's amazing to talk to you. I'm a big fan. Uh, we talked on the phone a little bit. And like I told you, I used to play steel pans um, poorly uh, in my undergrad. <laughs> uh, played bass pans, our little steel pan ensemble, my Idaho State University. And, um, you know, I think like me, most people had that same kind of idea that oh well this is like we're going to hear this in you know the caribbean and hear this uh maybe like jamaica or you know horrible stereotypes you know right um so your music is just so mind opening so um you know thank you and um i guess we just start off with like well who are you like where where do you come from what's your you come from a musical family uh so that's a good question. So um, my dad was a musician. He he went to school for music and, you know, he did music in high school and college. And then um, he ended up actually joining the army. 
so okay. he didn't he didn't really you know go all the way with everything that he wanted to do with that but uh you know growing up he always had music things around the house like different instruments or um different music books and you know they're always they're always playing gospel music and michael jackson and all kinds of stuff so uh so i got exposed to all that through my dad nice nice yeah um and then i, I started playing saxophone in the sixth grade and okay. then i start yeah then that kind of um you know won't go too far down the rabbit hole but i got into, <laughs> I got into percussion in high school and then then it wasn't until i got to college that i got into the steel drums okay yeah very cool and what was it about the steel pans that just kind of like Dream. Honestly, I didn't want to. I didn't want to do it at first. I didn't want to play. Oh, I really? No, <laughs> I had no interest in steel drums. But then uh, I had some friends that were in the band, in the in the school steel band, and they kind of just twisted my arm into trying it, and that was it. Yeah. Wow, that's cool. I, you know, yeah. I when I got into the doing the steel pens at my undergrad, I was just kind of like, well, it's an extra fill for some time, and I've got things, you know, nothing else to do, so might as well. But uh it's so cool like it's it drew you like you got dragged in and then you just like fell in love with it yeah i got i got sucked into it and then i was like you know this is really cool i, I like this yeah and um you know coming from saxophone and a little bit of drumline stuff you know i kind of had the you know the combination going already between the melodic sensibilities and the rhythmic aspect of it so i kind of fit right into it and i just kind of fell in love with it and i didn't want to play saxophone anymore after that yeah I, feel I had to though to graduate because i had to do a recital and i had to take lessons and it was really oh, okay yeah oh uh, so did you so did you get like a bachelor's in saxophone so my my degree is actually in composition oh okay, okay. But, but um even to study composition you have to have a main instrument Mm-hmm. That's that's your focus, and saxophone was the instrument that auditioned for to get into the school. Okay, okay, yeah, very cool. Yeah, so uh, how did you get into composing? Um, so I would say I, I got into composing early. So I, um, so one thing that I credit was uh, my dad had this book called Orchestration. Okay. And so when I was a little kid, when I was in about sixth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, I would see this book on the shelf and it really was this boring old textbook. <laughs> it was a really thick textbook um, that just had like orchestral excerpts and like little parts. And it would show like seeing figure three, how the viola goes like this and the violin does this, you know? <laughs> yeah. And yeah. like, yeah, it would be like seeing in figure seven where the cello doubles the bass and you know all the stuff like that so he had this book and i will just look at it and just be like whoa this is really cool yeah Uh, and that's when i was in sixth grade and so from there i started um i actually started writing music around the time i was in the sixth grade Mm -hmm. but it was like wasn't really good it wasn't really anything (laughs) i was just drawing like i had to i would draw the lines and i would just pretend i was writing music yeah, but I still count that. Um, yeah, yeah. Hey, because graphic I was, notation works, right? <laughs> yeah, I was. Yeah, exactly. So I was, you know, I was attempting to write music starting from the sixth grade, and then um, when I got to, I started taking composition really seriously when I got to high school. 
mm-hmm. I started listening to a lot of uh, Johann Sebastian Bach and I got obsessed with it and I started just like trying to be a composer and I would just um, write music on the weekends, you know, like Saturdays, Sundays, all day long. I would oh, try wow. to write music. Yeah. And uh, so that's when I started taking it really seriously. And I kept going with that throughout high school. I got to, uh, I guess my teacher saw that I was very interested in it. So he would uh, allow me to write different parts for the band and things like that for like marching band. And yeah. Well, that's cool. Yeah. And then also um, there's the movie Planet of the Apes, like the remake of Planet of the Apes. Uh-huh. I saw that movie in the theater with my parents when okay. I was and the music was so captivating that I waited around for the credits to see who wrote the music and it was Danny Elfman. Oh. And, and I didn't know who Danny Elfman was or anything, but I just thought it was so cool. Yeah. That this one that this person wrote all this music for this movie. And so that's when I decided that I wanted to study composition in college. Okay. Yeah, that's cool. I remember sticking around to the credits. It's a much older film, <laughs> but uh, to uh, live and die in LA. Um, and it was all, it was the first uh, movie that was scored by Wang, like a rock band. So Wang Chung. And uh, I was just like, this is, this is cool. You know, everything else was, you know, like John Williams and things. Oh, yeah. so I was like, this is so different. This is so really cool. Uh, it's cool how it's like there's pieces or music or movie scores that will just get you like attached. And you're just like, what, what is this? I have to find out what this is. Exactly. Yeah, so were your parents, uh, since your dad was musical, they were very supportive of your musical ambitions or? Yeah, um, also I, w- I will note, I never say this in interviews, I always forget to say this in interviews, but my, <laughs> mom, my mom played viola in high school. Orchestra, oh, okay. And also she was in the church choir for oh, some nice. time. Um, but yeah, they were very supportive with the music stuff. So um, they saw that I had an interest in it. So whenever I, I wanted musical things i feel spoiled in this way but like <laughs> one time I, I wanted to play guitar and they got me a guitar you know i wanted yeah. when they saw that i was writing music then you know my dad brought me this program where i could write music uh you know stuff like that like i wanted to try to play the piano and they bought me a little keyboard and nice. you know so when i said i wanted to go to college for music to be a composer they were just like, oh, cool. That's great. You know, they, which is, that's cool. They were just neutral about it. They were like, cool. Sounds great. They weren't like, are you sure you want to do this? Yeah. Right. They, they, weren't, they weren't like, <laughs> are you sure? You know, how are you going to make money? They never, they never, my parents never questioned me. Like, are you sure you want to get this degree in this obscure <laughs> field? Because there's no, you know, you can't, you can't use that degree and get a job, you know? Right. But they, I just said, Hey, I'm going to go to school and study composition. They're like, oh, okay. <laughs> wow. That's really cool. Yeah. yeah, we hear, you know, some people who, you know, their parents are like, well, you should really go into engineering or a doctor or something there. And then you got other people who are just like, yeah, do whatever you want. It makes you happy. You know, we'll be there for you. Yeah. That's really cool. I was, I'm glad that it's, there's that support. And then the fact that you are able to work with your high school teacher, uh, that's not an option that I think many people might have sometimes. Yeah. So when I was in high school, I think that I like just, I, I just like did it one time, like, Hey, I wrote this piece and he said, Hey, all right, let's try it. 
you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Or there was like a certain part of the drumline show or the or the marching band show where, um, oh, I know, I know exactly what it was. So the, the, the marching band show was written for uh, four bass drum parts. Okay. Like, like marching. I don't know if you know how much you know about marching bass. Drum oh yeah. Drum. I taught marching percussion for like 10 okay. years. <laughs> so the, the show was written for, for, for uh, four marching bass drums, but we had five. Okay. So, um, I don't know if he asked me or if I asked him, but I was like, hey, can I just rewrite the entire show for five bases? <laughs> yeah. And he, he said, okay. And then also there was like a drumline feature. Uh-huh. There, was, there was like this 16 bar drumline feature in the middle of the show. And um, I, I rewrote it. Oh, cool. Like, I don't know if it was my idea or his idea. But he allowed me to do that. So like there was a six there was a sixteen measure drum break in the middle of the show that I wrote. Nice. So it wasn't even a derivative of what was originally there. I just he just like we just scrapped it and I, I wrote a new drum feature. So wow. and that was in our, our marching band show my senior year. So shout out to Mr. Davis for, you know, giving me those opportunities to, you know. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, that's so cool. I I taught percussion for a number of years and uh they would always buy like a canned book you know uh and so i would always have to go back and rewrite the baseline because it was written for five and i had to like downsize it for four you know because we were a small band gotcha. so, <laughs> but i it's it's really cool that they were able to give you that option and that opportunity and uh be able to work that way definitely flex those composition skills oh uh, yes yes <laughs> so yeah i was i was happy that my uh my teachers allowed me to do that. Yeah, that's really cool. Maybe I know we pop, I put this in the email, but like maybe we could do like a brief history of what the steel pan, how it came apart uh, about. Okay. Is that okay? Like, sure. I'm going to just do like a brief overview just because like, oh, it's yeah. so there's so much history to it and people should really go down the rabbit hole, but like, right. I don't want to say enough so people can know that there's. Yeah. <laughs> give, um, them a, give them a little of that carrot so that they follow it. So. All right, so, and, you know, there's definitely way more to the story. This is just like Cliff's Notes, this overview. So, so Trinidad is where this instrument comes from, which is the mm-hmm. southernmost island in the Caribbean. And it was, a, it was like a colony from England. It was like, you know, you know how things were back in the day. Right, right. So, so there was definitely some, uh, you know, colonization happening there. And just like everything else in this part of the world, they were um, people of African descendant or African descendants that were brought over as slaves to work and then were freed at certain points and things like that. Well, the British put a ban on musical instruments from Africa. So drums and yeah, definitely mainly all kinds of drums were just illegal. Oh, wow. It was, yeah, it was against the law. So from there, the people kind of um, 
you know, they wanted to make music. They, they wanted to, um, you know, be festive and just right. like joyous and make music. So they would pick up anything they could from, you know, pieces of bamboo, um, later on little metal cans and, and things like that. Um, and I'm, this is a bastardized story right here. I'm, right. I'm skipping through so fast. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. There's lots to yeah. skip over. Yeah. There's lots to skip over, but, um, at some point someone was able to make a couple notes out of a, out of a small can, just like a metal, like a metal tin, like a biscuit tin or something like that, you know? Uh, and then eventually the 40, uh, the, the 55 gallon barrel was used. Okay. Uh, and I believe Ellie Manette was the first to use a 55 gallon barrel. And that's what we use today for the steel pans. Um, so it, it was born out of, you know, 1940s Trinidad, you know, uh, but growing out of this ban of musical instruments that the British outlawed. Right. And so it's a pretty amazing story. Yeah. It, uh, the, I think the music, um, you know, coming from the Caribbean and from like the South and Eastern America, how it came up from this kind of oppressive state is so cool and it's so vibrant, you know? Yeah. Uh, and just, I just want to also say about that, like that was the most like skipped over bastardized right. story that could possibly be told in history. So, Oh yeah. Yeah. I want, uh, there there's was so a... much, there's so much more to it that yeah, oh. there's so much more to it. Oh yeah, but, I, but you know, but the whole point of that to me is like, there's this rich dark history to it that people, you know, like I said, they associate this instrument sometimes with like beaches and cruise ships and stuff. Right. But like, there's such a rich, dark cultural history to this whole thing. You know, people mm -hmm. fought over this instrument. People lost, people lost their lives over the creation of this instrument. Right. So, yeah, it's not it. You know, it meant so much more to them than just you know. Uh, something for tourists to listen to, you know? Right. And then also a little known fact about it is um, back in those days, um, steel bands, different neighbors, different neighborhoods had steel bands and they were almost like gangs. Oh, okay. So like okay. not only were they playing, but they were also getting into fights and things like that. And it was a big, <laughs> it was a big uproar. So, so like back in the day, if you played steel pan, you were probably a gangster. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> It's like in Brazil when they have different, uh, like in different favelas, they have the different uh, samba groups. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So it's, the instruments come a long way. Yeah. And so it's divided up into a couple different, not family, but like voices, right? So you've got like a lead pan, a tenor pan, and a bass pan. So 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 lead and tenor are the same, actually. That's the highest Oh. Voice. Okay. Okay. Then you have then you have like double tenors, double seconds, and then you have uh, guitars and cellos that are more like the the mid range voices, and then you have like the tenor bass and the bass, you know, using different amounts of drums with different size notes to make the the higher pitches and the lower pitches. Okay. Okay. And you play the the, the lead, right? The lead. Band. I play double seconds. Oh, double seconds. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It's kind of like the alto voice of the steel orchestra. Okay. It's kind of like going back to that alto saxophone for it. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, never, I, I never thought about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was I was uh, listening to some of the pieces and the range of which you hear. It's not just like this upper part 
You know, you hear the whole from the low end to a high end in the notes and pitches. And uh, so I was like, oh, is that really a lead or, you know, is there something else in the middle that I'm missing? Or? Yeah, it's double second. My, my lowest note is a, a low E, like the low E that's on the bass clef. Okay. Like yeah. in the staff or below? Yeah, in the staff. Oh, okay, cool. And then it goes to E flat, three ledger lines above the treble clef. Oh, okay, cool. Oh, that's a yeah, big range. I have a pretty big range on one of mine. Not all of them are like that, but this one is almost, it's like one note shy of three octaves. Yeah. And so with the steel pens, they're also set up so it's chromatic in that it moves up chromatically with your hands, correct? Uh, or am I wrong? Like, so like the right hand, you'll play like a C, then maybe the left hand is C sharp. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. double seconds. Yeah, for sure. So double seconds. Um, so you have a whole tone scale on each side, on each okay. drum, which means if you play a chromatic scale, you're going to be bouncing back left to right, left to right. But that's that only goes for the double seconds. Okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah, because I was... Yeah, I was trying to remember back when I played, man, that was whew, 10 years ago or so, you know? So I was like, yeah. uh, I was trying to think back, okay. And hearing some of the things you play, I'm like, how is he going back and forth so quickly? This man, like three, four arms going on. I don't know what's going on in here. <laughs> the skill. I mean, it's amazing. Thank you. So from this, like you started, how did you get into... Bella Fleck and the banjo performer. How did I get into Bella Fleck? Um, well, so the okay, the first time I ever heard Bella Fleck, I was on tour with the Steel Band in college. Mm -hmm. My friend Jeremy Muller was sitting behind me, and he was listening to music, and then he he takes his headphones off and puts them on my head, and it was this this Bella Fleck solo where he was using an electric banjo to make the banjo sound like a steel pan. Oh, wow. So that was the, that was the first Bela Fleck I ever heard. <laughs> oh, cool. Very fitting. Um, but it was it was really cool. And then from there, you know, I just got super into the Fleck tones and um, they came to my college and I got to see them live and um, I got obsessed with them. So I would always just kind of show up to their shows randomly <laughs> really early. And there's a whole long story about this, but I would show up to their shows um, and just be waiting in the parking lot to try to see Bela Fleck and Victor Wooten and all those guys. Wow. And they just got to know me over the years like that. And eventually I started being able to work with them. But, and once again, that's the short version of the story, but it was, <laughs> you know, years and years of me showing up to their shows and, you know, now, you know, we have like the tiny desk concert with Bela Fleck and, you know, right. Bela Fleck is on the album pillar, but you know, it was years and years of just, kind of showing up early to his shows and hanging out in the parking lot and waiting in the dark by the bus, trying to see if he comes out. And, you know, I did a lot of that in my younger years. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's man. I, so I heard of him through my mother, who's a big fan and, uh, and she was always begging me. So he came to my undergrad school and did a concert and she was like, give me tickets because I was in the music department so I could get free tickets if I needed, you know? She's like, get tickets. I want to go. Just give me tickets. <laughs> I was like, I'll try them all. But <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, I I'd never heard of an electrified, uh, well, an amped, you know, uh, uh, banjo before. I'll have to check that out. Yeah, check out. There's an album called Live Art. Live and Art. It's a, live Art, and it's a it's a tune called More Love. It's a, Live Art is a two disc live album, and it's on the first disc. It's called More Love, and then the, the banjo solo on that. It's an electric banjo running through some synthesizers or something, and the banjo sounds like a steel pan. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, I will have to listen to that. I'll do that tonight. Um, and so you just, what was it about the way he played that really kind of um, spurred you? Um, I liked how he was doing things that you wouldn't expect to be done on the banjo. So just like the different styles he would play, the just the just the vibe that he would bring across was just like kind of unexpected for the banjo. Yeah. And you know, like I was kind of telling you before when we talked last week, you know, I felt like when I first heard him, it's not that I was inspired. I was, of course I was inspired, you know, right. but it wasn't that I was like, oh my God, now I want to do that. It was like Man, I'm kind of doing. I'm kind of doing something similar, and he's doing it. So maybe, maybe I can do it. Yeah. So you know, I kind of looked up to him, and I still do, for sure. I like that he was that encouraging kind of influence on you, and um, yeah, for sure. You know, that's a really cool. I wish, you know, that's. I'm sure other people have those people too. Um, so everybody has those type of people. Like, I mean, even for Bela, like he looked up to Chick Corea like that. Oh, okay. You know, and then, you know, Victor, and, you know, he looked up to people like Bootsy Collins and yeah. Stanley Clark. Man. So cool. And then he heard you do, uh, was it, was it really imposter or was it Lurkin? You know, so Lurkin, so Lurkin was one of the first things that he heard from me where he actually responded. Okay. Yeah, because actually, um, so I wrote, so you know about Lurkin. So I wrote this piece called Lurkin that was specifically about Bela Fleck. And it was specifically about me stalking Bela Fleck. <laughs> because he would actually, um, you know, I would drive four or five hours to see his concert and be hanging out by the bus. And then he would just see me and point to me and say, Lurkin. Ah, and okay. Walk the other way. So. It was really a shout out to him. And when I wrote Lurkin, I kind of wrote it in the style of Bela. And nice. I wrote it in honor of him and in the style of him. So um, when I released Lurkin, I actually released a video um, that you can find on YouTube. And at the beginning of the video, I do an interview where basically I was, I told the story about how I used to stalk Bela Fleck and hopefully I can work with him one day and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, at that point, we kind of ran in similar circles. Like, I was friends with Victor Root and I was friends with all these people. So, you know, I wanted to make sure he saw it. So I definitely sent it to everybody that I knew who knew him. <laughs> and he saw it, and, and uh, I'll never forget, it was it was, Octo- it was October. The month was October, I believe. And this was, might have been 2014. 2013 or 2014. And I was, on tour in the van taking a nap and I woke up and I looked on Twitter and Bale Flight had tweeted about me. And right. he, he, he tweeted about me and he uh, you know was talking about Lurkin. 
and so um, yeah, that was that was that was the the first time he actually you know publicly said anything that he even knew about me or cared about me or anything. Other than that, he just thought I was a stalker. <laughs> so, you were just yeah. working over there by the bus. Yeah, and then a few years later, that's when I did the uh, the imposter thing where I um, I worked on his piece, The Imposter, just like one little 60 second clip that I learned of his uh, banjo part. And when I released that, then then that's when Bela, he had the most respect for me ever. Because right. it wasn't it wasn't just like a piece. It wasn't just like a song. It was like this insane piece probably nobody had ever played before other than him. Right. But then I, I learned it, you know, note for note. And I made a video and released it. And he saw that. And that's when he, you know, that's when everything was cool from then on. <laughs> oh, that's cool. And that's from then on, you were in pretty good contact with each other? Well... <laughs> Not that we were in the best contact, but like from then on, he knew that I was serious. Okay. You know okay. I, mean? I feel like it. I feel like it kind of impressed him that I played his music and I played it like this crazy, insane piece of music of his. I think that it impressed him, and you know, I oh, think that it worked. Yeah, I, I mean, definitely, I would think that would. That work. was the goal. <laughs> I mean, I, I, actually, that was the goal. Like, I, I learned that to impress him. <laughs> Right, right. <laughs> yeah, it, it worked because I mean I spent like eleven weeks learning that by ear. Wow! It's just like sixty seconds of music, and I spent like eleven weeks like learning it and getting it up to speed, and then like making a video of it. Wow, that's insane! And doing it by ear—that's crazy. It was hard work. I'm sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so, and then Bella joined you later on, like because you did. Um, so you performed in Richmond, right? Yeah. So, I, so, um, I sat in with the Flecktones as a guest in mm. Richmond. Um, and that honestly was a situation where like, you know, I've always been someone to reach out to people that I admire and things like that. And, you know, I kind of have the guts to, to do that random time. So that was actually a time where I reached out and was like, Hey, Bela, um, can I sit in with you guys? I'm coming through Richmond. I'm going to be there. And he said, yes. But cool. like for that to happen, so much had to happen before that. Like, oh, right. you know, you know, releasing the imposter video, releasing Lurkin, you know, right. actually stalking, you know, all the, <laughs> those guys, like, so all that had, and then at that point I had already worked with everybody. Right. I had worked with Future Man. I had worked with Victor Wooten. I worked with Howard Levy. Um, I worked with Jeff Kaufman. Um, I had worked with everyone already at that right. point. Yeah. You had already kind of um, sewn your chops and uh, flexed your ability. So he knew it wasn't like some random person, you know? Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And then he joined you again in NPR, right? Yes. So he, play, he played with us on NPR. And um, that was cool. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's an understatement because, I mean, like, right now I say it like, oh, yeah, Bela played with us in Tiny Desk. No big deal. But, like, I mean, a lot had to happen for the past 12 years in order to make that happen. So, um, but, you know, by the time we're, I'm at this point, we're playing NPR, it, it was easy. Right. I just emailed him and said, hey, <laughs> <laughs> I just said, hey, you know, we're playing uh, NPR and I know that you're going to be around because I, I saw that he was going to be in the area on tour. Mm. Yeah. So yeah. It, that wor it worked. 
So, yeah, I was talking to Al Tyson yesterday and uh, we were talking um, about you, like a little bit of a, his interview was about you and about how uh, underappreciated that NPR concert is. And we were just like, how can this only have like 130,000 views on YouTube? And yet Dua Lipa has 900 or whatever, you know, it's like, this is, this is so cool. And man, I don't even think about it like that, man. Like, <laughs> I know people say like, oh yeah, the tiny, our tiniest concert is underappreciated. It should have more views, but man, I mean, like the fact that it exists is good enough for me, you know? Uh, like, yeah. And also it, it opens up doors and things like that. So <clears throat> I'm not really worried that it doesn't have a million views, you know? Right. Right. No, I just, I think it's such a cool concert. Plus you do, um, one of my favorite pieces from that was the, uh, um, uh, Buddha. Oh, fake Buddha's inner child. Yeah. Fake Buddha's inner child from your, from pillar. Um, so maybe you could say a little bit about what Pillar is and um, how that came about, that album. Um, so the Pillar album, it, it came about through a lot of life changes. A lot of crazy things was happening in my life around that time. And I basically just put it all into an album. Nice. Essentially. Uh, but we don't have to get into all that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> We don't have to get into the nitty gritty of it. So. We don't have to get into the nitty gritty of it, but um, that's what it came down to. And I will say for the tune, uh, Fake Buddhas and a Child, uh, for that particular tune, you know, I was going through a lot of stuff and that was kind of like my medicine for the day. Mm. It was like, that was like my therapy for the day is to write that piece. And so I basically locked myself in a room and said, I can't come out of this room until I finish that piece. No, nice. So, yeah. So I wrote, I wrote that in like a day or I oh, wrote cool. it in a couple, I, t- I wrote it in a couple hours. Wow. Um, because obviously, like, I challenged myself to, like, I locked myself in the room in order to, you know, make myself write this piece. Mm-hmm. But also, I wasn't trying to be in this room all day. So I just, <laughs> <laughs> so I wrote it really quick because, you know, I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of a fast writer, too. So I, I wrote that piece maybe in, like, two hours, two and a half hours. Wow. And, um, yeah, I didn't know that it was going to be as, you know people like that tune and i appreciate it it's a great tune i love that tune and i love um the next one that was on it like uh we came through the storm Just that one's so cool with that bass line. And then, uh, you know, one, I was playing some of your music for my wife as I was driving around town. And 
she remarked about how much she loved the sound of your pans with the bass. Oh uh, yeah. And how it, it moves together and you know, it's really synchronous and all of a sudden like when you get to the beginning of We Came Through the Storm, they're opposites for a little bit and then they get back together. And um, it's such a cool sound. I mean, th that's something that you, you were inspired by something else that you heard that did that? Or was it just like one of those cool experiences that you just discovered one day? I don't even know how to answer that really. I just know that like, <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know how to answer that. Like, I, I'm glad that you like that piece. Um, but like, you know, I think that there's something that's mad. There's something magical happens when you have two people that play an instrument, play something at the same time. Yeah. And then there's something cool that happens when they play other things, mm -hmm. you know, and then there's something cool that happens when they start playing the same thing again. So like, I like to play around with that a lot. So I'm, I'm glad you noticed that. And um, I have a tendency to write kind of like really, odd unique kind of weird melodic lines and things like that mm -hmm. and one thing that i've noticed this is the secret for me like if one person plays this crazy weird melody by themselves it's fine right but then once another person plays it at the same time it's like it's next level oh yeah it is yeah. it is it definitely is yeah now i've given away all my secrets so yeah <laughs> so i was gonna rip it off yeah. now yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it would, I can hear that in so many of the other ones. Like, so we came through the storm, but then also Desert and um, Contortionist Ballet and a bunch of other pieces where you have those um, those joinings and separations between the two. And it just creates such a, a cool moment. Like, all of a sudden, they're together, and you're like, wow, it adds so much depth to the steel pan but also a lot of shimmer to the bass um, and then next thing you know they're apart again and the bass is doing you know you've got these da -da 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 -dun -do, da -da 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 -dun -do, you know such cool lines and it's just it's cool it's inspiring for me as a composer yeah. thank you man. <laughs> it makes me think about like well what could i do different then you know sweet i'm, I'm glad to you know make people expand or help people to kind of like think differently, think outside the box. That's where I'm like, always. my thing. I'm always thinking like that. <laughs> yeah. And there's a, I think there's a song. I can't remember the title off the top of my head on pillar. That sounds very similar to like something you would hear from a, a typical like Caribbean uh, steel pan ensemble, but then you change it. Uh, and I think you quote, is it like a quote of a song? Like I would hear my kids like tease each other, kind of na 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 na, you know. Some of the the da na da na 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 na. Yeah, 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 that one. Yeah, that's this is glass raw. Um, yeah. So that song, it kind of reminds me of like Mario Kart, actually. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. It kind of has that type of vibe. Um, like a funky Mario Kart. Mm -hmm. um, but that, so okay, so the funny thing about that tune, that actually wrote that tune for Bela. Oh, okay. Yeah, and that and the reason why it's called This is the Last Hurrah, because like I kept writing songs for Bela, like lurking. Right. Trying to kind of impress him. And when I wrote This is the Last Hurrah, I was like, you know what? 
I'm going to try to get Bela to play my album again for the sixth time. <laughs> so I wrote this tune, this last hurrah, and that one I actually wrote it. I tried to write it in the style of the Flectones also. Okay. Um, and originally I wanted Bela to be on that tune. But um, then I changed my plans at the last minute. But yeah, so um, there's there's like this one little lick in there that I actually stole from Bela. Okay. And I stretched it out to where it was different, uh-huh. and then I then I play that that na 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 right after it, just as like a little tease, oh. because, <laughs> because because like the lick before it actually stole from like this crazy insane Bela Fleck lick. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So like like poking him with a stick, like see, I can do it too. Yeah. <laughs> but but in, a, but in a funny way, we're like he probably may or may not catch it because I, I play it a little differently. Right, right. Yeah. But that was the idea behind it. That's cool. So what was the idea with um when we came through the storm? Um the idea with we came through the storm was just kinda like I wanted to I always wanted to write music for movies. Mm. And so sometimes I always have some kind of imagery in my head. And when I wrote that it was trying to just um kind of depict a storm really just like really just like a like a hurricane or tornado or something like that and i just wanted to create this vibe that was like a hurricane yeah i mean it um you it you know builds up at the end you know with the the low horns and, oh, yeah. and woodwinds and it's it's so cool and then god that drummer i i don't know who the drummer is yeah. mason Gidby on the drums oh my god that man Woo! just like blew my mind i was i was listening to that in desert and like i told you I, you know my wife and daughter were exercising and i was doing the dishes and hearing the drum solo i was just like whoa like i audibly said something and they were like excuse me you know <laughs> i was that's just like funny. no no, no it's, it's in here it's not out there you're fine <laughs> that's funny but just like the sounds that was, Everyone has to go listen to these albums because the just the sound worlds that are created are just so amazing and fascinating. There's really no other words, you know. It's so cool. Thank you. I'm a huge fan. <laughs> I appreciate it. And so, um, yeah. So you were performing quite a bit, correct? Before, um, you know, the whole pandemic and things. Yeah, we were playing a lot and touring a lot. And, and then, yeah, the pandemic definitely stopped that. Yeah. And you've been, so, but you've been doing some online concerts, correct? A little bit. Like, a little just bit? barely. Just something like <laughs> in there, rarely, randomly. I'm, honestly, I'm not the biggest fan of playing online. Okay. Like, like, I don't really like to do it. Oh, why is that? Just because, like, I don't know. Well, okay. <laughs> For one, it's just like not the same, you know. Right. It's just, it's not the same. Um, it's just not the same. I mean, I, I like to do it because people appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Whenever they're scrolling randomly and then they see you play for a few seconds before they scroll away. Right. Right. Um, but you know, I also toured so much before that, like, I'm glad to be on a little break from that. Yeah. And then it's going to come back and we're going to be busy again. Yeah. Yeah. So 
so yeah like so for me like i don't mind waiting until it comes back but like i have done some live stream performances here and there uh when they when the opportunities present themselves for sure and they've been really fun yeah i think i caught your last one and um it was it was cool it was just you and a drummer yeah me and uh my friend ignacio on the ignacio that's right that's right yep. and that was cool it's such a uh you know these percussionists working together and it was uh it was great to hear some new or new music and live music in a way you know yeah. but you know as a performer it is nice to have that um hard to describe but like the the atmosphere of having a live crowd around you yeah you can't really replace the live crowd atmosphere no you can't <laughs> yeah <laughs> and so um what do you like? Do you do commissions and things for people too? Yeah, I've been doing commissions and I've been teaching lessons, like comp I've been teaching composition lessons. Oh, okay, cool. Um, I've been teaching some music theory lessons and like a couple pan lessons, a couple music theory lessons, composition lessons, and I actually teach Spanish lessons too sometimes. Oh, do you really? Yeah. Oh, cool. That's so like a, a fun thing I like to do. Are you fluent uh, in Spanish? Yeah. Oh, very cool. So I like I like languages a lot, and that's like that's what if I weren't if I weren't a musician, I would be like a translator or something. That would be my dream job. Very cool. Yes, that's awesome. I think languages and music they're such an easy kind of bridge to make with each other. In that, sure. you know, <clears throat> we tried to. There was a, a brief moment where we thought we might move to Shanghai, and so we were trying to learn Mandarin. Oh yeah, and it's. It was a little easier actually than trying to learn French or German, you know, because it's like if I can remember it as a melody, yeah, then it'd be easier to speak rather than <laughs> what declension am I using or is this? Do I have to use the male feminine form or <laughs> you know? Yeah, ni hao ma. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and the uh, oh, and ma itself. I mean, there's five different ways to say it, and you could totally. Yeah. you know, make someone feel really upset. <laughs> yeah, there's all those. I studied Mandarin for a little bit too, so. Oh, did you really? No, yeah. And all those accents, like, you know, the, the five accents of like, ma, 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 like all those different. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, all, with every syllable. It's a little crazy. I, I kind of, I was studying Mandarin for a while and then I said, you know what, I can't do this. I, have to, <laughs> I can't, I can't study, I can't study Mandarin and continue my music career. Because oh yeah. One has to one has to go. It is kind of overwhelming for your musical brain. <laughs> well, yeah, because I was just um you know I kind of go all in when I like right. study a language, so yeah. That's cool. But I learned a lot about you know Chinese and and I got to go there. So Oh, did you? Mm -hmm. Which parts of China? Um, places that people wouldn't normally go to, I think, but um, I went to three, <laughs> the three main places I went in China were um, this place called Hefei, okay. a place called Changsha, Changsha. and a place called uh, Zhuhai. Hmm. Yeah. And those are, are those mostly like in the central part of China or? One was like way in the south, okay. one was in the middle and one was like near Shanghai. Oh, okay, okay on the east coast Very so cool. they were kind of like all over the place nice that's cool and it was that part of like a, a 
a tour with the Forkestra or? Yeah, it was a Forkestra tour that was um, hosted by the State Department. Very cool. Yeah, I've heard some people do that. Um, you know, Adam from, uh, he does, he's a YouTuber. He was on that to Mongolia and, and uh, Kazakhstan, I think. Oh, yeah. As part of the State Department's musical outreach, so to speak. Yeah, I went to Kazakhstan with the State Department, too. Oh, really? Yeah. Very cool. L- last year. Wow, what was that like? It was, it was awesome, man. It was like, it, that was my first time in a, in a, like a former Soviet, you know. Mm-hmm. So it was cool to kind of like see how the different worlds collide, especially in a place like Kazakhstan where there's like the Russian influence. Right. And then there's like the Kazakh people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was really cool. And what did they think of the steel pans? I mean, people had a really warm reception for us over there. So, yeah, we made a lot of good friends, too. That's awesome. That's yeah. so cool. That's so, I, I love that. Expanding people's horizons. <laughs> cool. Well, um, the only question that Hillary had was, how are you so cool? Um <laughs> That's for, I don't have to answer that, right? (laughs) She was just, I was like, what do you, do you have a question for him? You know, she's like, how is he so cool? I don't know. (laughs) It's all, um, it's all smoke and mirrors. Smoke and mirrors. (laughs) Yeah. Smoke. Yes. Smoke and mirrors and sleight of hand. There you go. There you go. Yes. So it's it's all just, it's all just sleight of hand. Well, um, thank you, uh, Jonathan Scales. It's been great having you on, talking about your life and uh, your albums and your songs or pieces. Sorry, and it's it's uh, it's an inspiration, and I love it. Thank you. And I appreciate it very much. And uh, thank you. Thanks for having me. Sounds of the World podcast. We hope you enjoyed the episode. There are links to everything in the episode description and also on our website. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Sounds of the World. To show support for Sounds of the World podcast, please join our Patreon, where you can have access to our after-party discussions with guests, discounted merchandise, and even more. If you have any questions, answers, or episode suggestions, please email us at soundsoftheworldpodcast at gmail.com. Well, Bill, I think I'm going to go have a beer now. Hey, there you go.